You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. It was the morning of the Feast of Pentecost a Jewish holy day celebrating the spring grain harvest in Israel. Also known as the Feast of Weeks, or Shabbat in Hebrew, this day also commemorated one of the greatest events in Israel's history, God's revealing of the Torah, the law at Mount Sinai. It was on this already meaningful occasion that the Lord chose to inscribe his law, one of steadfast love and compassion, unending mercy and graciousness upon the hearts of his people. It was on this particular day that God initiated a harvest of an entirely different kind. On the morning of Pentecost, the city of Jerusalem already was abuzz with curiosity and debate. Only seven weeks had passed since the heartbreaking crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth one who some had believed was the Messiah, the one who would free Israel from the yoke of Roman occupation, the one who would establish the kingdom of God. But his rejection by his own people and his accursed death on a Roman cross had seemingly dashed those hopes forever. Still, there were some wild stories circulating about Jesus's resurrection from the dead. The stone had been rolled away. The tomb was empty. Was Jesus alive, risen from the grave? Religious authorities scoffed at this idea and denied it. But Jesus' disciples, along with over 500 other witnesses, despite their own initial doubts, had seen Jesus. They had talked with him, ate with him, touched his wounds in his hands and in his side, and now, Here are those same disciples, all together in one place, ready to celebrate Pentecost. When suddenly, seemingly at dawn, the rushing sound of a great wind fills the house. This wind, as Peter later testifies in this scene, is the very breath of God. His promised Holy Spirit blowing through and blowing up each heart in the room. Sight quickly becomes added to sound as the presence of the Holy Spirit visually appears before them as tongues of fire, small flames that settle on each of their heads. And in that instant, all those who are present are filled with the Spirit. Then empowered by this same Spirit, they begin to speak to each other in other languages, languages from around the known world at that time. These local Galileans, these not very cosmopolitan, but rather blue-collar, everyday people who could not and would not have otherwise known such languages begin to speak fluently. And we know this is true, that all this boisterous speaking aloud wasn't just some random gibberish because this sudden eruption of both sight and sound quickly draws an audience. Jewish pilgrims, 
who had come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate Pentecost, sat now crowd together before this gathering space. And collectively, they're dazed and confused. Each of them clearly hears and understands the wonders of God being declared to them in their mother tongue. But none of them, not one of them, can figure out how this could even be possible. And in their inability to discern what this all means, they do as we often do. They mock what they do not understand. Ignoring the evidence of what they've witnessed, some just write it off as something that's just happened as the byproduct of drunkenness. Too much partying because it's Pentecost. But the Holy Spirit, through the man named Peter, immediately answers this charge. And as this chapter continues, begins to explain how this is the fulfillment of something God promised a long time ago. But for us, we only have to go back one chapter to recognize what just went down and what it all means. In the first chapter of Acts, Jesus, in his final post-resurrection appearance with his original disciples, explicitly told them to wait in Jerusalem until they had received power from on high. During his three years of teaching them, especially right before he was arrested, Jesus spoke to them of a comforter, a counselor, a guide whom he would send to them once he had finished what he came to do. Reaffirming this promise as he prepared to ascend to heaven before their very eyes, Jesus also gave to them, he gave to all who follow him, a mission. This mission, or what is often termed the Great Commission, is the reason, the purpose for the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Do we know what it is? If you were to ask the average Christian, what is the mission of Jesus? The answer you'd probably hear, the, if you will, boilerplate response would be something like this. Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive our sins so that when we die, we might have eternal life. And while this is most certainly true, it is not the full story, not by a long shot. To be clear, all of history, all of it revolves around the work of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross and his resurrection accomplish the whole work of our salvation. There is nothing, nothing at all about our human effort that can add to that work. However, in giving us the Great Commission through the person of the Holy Spirit and without us deserving it or earning it, what happens on Pentecost is Jesus graciously brings us into his work of salvation, of sharing and extending his life to others. I mean, it's not a coincidence that the Holy Spirit arrives on Pentecost, the culmination, the celebration of the spring harvest. The Holy Spirit is given on Pentecost of all occasions to begin to harvest what God's death in Christ had purchased, the fruits of his resurrection, whole, full, and everlasting life for the world. Lots of Christians have this tendency to view the Great Commission as something we do for Jesus. You know, Jesus did his part, all the heavy lifting, and now it's time for us to do our part, to spread that news far and wide about Christ. But again, ours is not a new mission, something we do for Jesus. Sharing and extending life full, abundant, and everlasting life born of forgiveness, grace, and love, that's not a new mission. 
That's the continuation of Jesus's mission, something Christ started and now purposes to spread far and wide through us. This is the whole point of what happens here. This is the main reason why we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The parameters of Jesus's mission involve so much more than clearing the ledger of our past and or securing the destination of our future. While it is definitely all of that, the good news of Christ doesn't stop there. Pentecost establishes this profoundly. Changing this present life that we are living also was a part of the mission of Jesus. Because with Pentecost, we are given a new identity thanks to Christ. For the world and for all of us in Christ, Pentecost is the inauguration of us being made into new creations in Christ. In other words, we are not just given the Holy Spirit as our personal life coach so that we can each live up to our potential, find contentment and satisfaction, and then stop there. No, the Holy Spirit gives us life this life and the life to come. The Holy Spirit enhances and transforms our lives together here and now, not just for our own benefit, but ultimately for the benefit of others. To put this another way, the Holy Spirit works in us in, also to all, in, all, in order to also work through us. The Holy Spirit works in us to also work through us, to share life where death continues to reign, to bring light where darkness still dominates, to declare freedom by faith where bondage to fear still holds anyone in shackles, to resurrect those who remain dead in their sins, to extend life among those who are so preoccupied with death that they remain lifeless. And all of this is exactly what we see unfolding here in Acts chapter 2 and continuing onward to the end of this book and beyond. The Holy Spirit arrives in this moment of Pentecost and gives birth to a new earthly body of the risen Christ, otherwise known as the church. And that means that Pentecost is our starting point for answering a timely question for right now. What is the church? What does it mean? What does it look like to be the church? Before we answer this question through the lens of Pentecost, let's have a brief history lesson. Though the people of Israel, ancient Israel, never used the word church, their primary sense of identity derived from the space they occupied, from being in their homeland, and even more specifically, their sense of identity had to had revolved around about having and going to the temple. The temple for the ancient Israelites was where the presence of God could be found. The temple was where the people could truly worship. The temple was where the people gathered to find their security and solidarity. But here's the thing. The Lord was very clear from the beginning. The temple was an accommodation. The temple was a temporary stopgap for something far greater that God was planning to do. No building made with human hands could possibly contain the infinite presence of the living God. And this was underscored by all the stipulations and requirements that were outlined in approaching the temple. And all of this was done to reinforce that the presence of the Lord is not something we can control. The presence of the Lord is not something we can just handle or manipulate. And many Israelites ignored or forgot this truth to their peril and even their death. 
They prided themselves on their possession of their beautiful building, not even realizing they were worshiping a man-made structure rather than the God who filled that structure in order to give it significance. And as they neglected actually following Yahweh, ignoring the needs and cries of the poor, the marginalized, the foreigner, the alien, the stranger, guess what? God left the building. Yahweh's Shekinah glory no longer resided in the temple, though apparently no one seemed to notice that. For when the temple was destroyed, they just rebuilt the same old structure with a few enhancements to make it bigger and better. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he wasn't all that impressed. When Jesus went to the temple and cleaned it out, when Jesus pointed to the building and said, that's not where God lives, that's not where God ever planned on residing forever, when Jesus declared the temple would be destroyed because God himself, the Lord himself, was building something different, something extraordinary, the people protested. The people decided they wanted the temple more than they valued Jesus. Are we listening, beloved? Are we listening? The good news, the gospel, is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the groundbreaking ceremony of a construction project that began to take shape with the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Whereas formerly, the unmitigated reality of sin created an obstacle that made the presence of God too much to handle, whereas being able to directly see the glory of God would blind you or worse, lead you to drop dead right then and there. I mean, even the angels still cover their faces before the presence of God. God made the first move and came down in Christ as one of us. And with the coming of Jesus, we could look into the face of God and not only live, but also find forgiveness, healing, and hope. But then God did through Christ something something that began on Pentecost, something that still defies our comprehension still to this day, many thousand years later. Through the Holy Spirit, God made his home, not in a building made by human hands. God made his home in human persons, which he himself created by his hand. With the coming of the person of Jesus, both the presence and the mission of God first remained local. It remained wherever Jesus geographically was at the moment. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, both the presence and the mission of God became global as the presence of God could be found wherever his people were. As the mission of God continued to be fulfilled as the people went forth as witnesses, sharing and extending the life that Christ offers us to others. Are you following this, beloved? Are we following this? Thanks to what happened on Pentecost, thanks to the Holy Spirit, together we become the temple, the living temple of the Lord. Today is the birthday of the church. And my friends, the church is not a building. The church is a body of people joined together to the same head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church isn't a place to visit 
The church isn't something to sit through. This right here, what we're doing, this isn't the church. The life of the church is not dictated by occupying a specific physical place. We need to understand and remember that we, as the temple of the living God, all of us together as the body of Christ, we're already scattered around the world. We have been from the beginning as the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. We have been experiencing social distancing long before this pandemic because we cannot all be together physically as the church in one place. Our great reunion, our full gathering as the one true church is something we still look forward to when Jesus returns. No, my friends, the church is not an institution. The church is a movement built around a mission. The life of the church is animated as we who follow Jesus, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, get up and move. Get up and go in following Jesus, in sharing and extending the gospel to the world out there. Buildings, no matter how functional, buildings, no matter how impressively built, buildings, no matter how primely located, buildings cannot fulfill the Great Commission. Only people can. People who are led by the Spirit, rather than trying to find or contain the Spirit in a designated worship space. My friends, we must learn the lessons of our ancestors, of the people of ancient Israel, and not confuse the physical objects and physical places where we gather as the heart or basis of our gathering together as the people of God. Because when the buildings and the objects, the physical things we create, become more sacred or holy, more paramount than people, those who have been created by God in his image— then what we are doing is we're not practicing true worship. What we're doing is we're practicing dangerous, harmful idolatry. My Bible says Holy Bible on the front, but it is the words in it that are holy because they were inspired by God. It's not the physical pages that are holy. It's the words that matter. But then again, it's not the ink and the paper that matters either. It's abiding it's abiding and living out of the word of God. It's letting the word of God direct and shape and form us and how we treat others that matters. So here are the questions we need to be asking. And I warn you, they are hard questions for us to hear and reflect upon. They are hard questions, but the answers to these questions matter. And here we go. What does it mean to be the church? My friends, are we a bunch of church goers or are we together going out there because we are the church? Does Jesus call us to gather once a, once a week where we want? Does Jesus call us to gather where we expect him to be in order to receive a blessing? Or does Jesus call us to gather together where he is, where the spirit leads us, not just so we can receive a blessing, but in order to be a blessing in his name as we lovingly serve others? Does Jesus call us to defend or protect a building? Does Jesus call us to defend our right to worship in a building? Or does Jesus call us to be the building, to be the church, and to defend and protect the rights, the health and safety of others? I know, I know we all wanna come back to our campus. And when we are ready, when it is wise to return, when it is safe for all, when we ensure that all are welcome and included, as we worship, we will return to our campus. And I 
look forward to that day, just like you. But make no mistake, grace is not closed. Grace is not closed unless we have closed ourselves off from the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a building in order to gather. All we need are people in order to gather. And so I say to you, if you're one who's ready to worship with others today, if you feel safe, if you've taken all the proper precautions, then I encourage you sincerely, open up your home and host a smaller and yet bigger gathering of believers than we've been experiencing these last few weeks. Invite others into your living space and worship. Be the church together. Because Pentecost reminds us of our roots and our roots are in the Holy Spirit. Pentecost clarifies the church is not a building. It is a saved people. We cannot go to church if we have received the salvation of God. We cannot go to church because if we are following Jesus Christ, we don't go to church, we are the church. And as we gather as a community of his love, grace, and truth, not confined by the contours of any four walls, but as we gather by becoming visible beyond those walls, serving others, we become, you and I, us together, the building, the temple of the living God. May we never forget that, even as we long, all of us, for our eventual homecoming. Amen. Amen.